0: Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. It must be Preacher Week at Pleasant Valley Assembly. Like Pastor John's are here, but he's normally here. Pastor Rob Archie and his wife Karen are here, man. And Rob goes way back. Many, many years ago, Rob was on staff with us for a while, and uh, he was re- most recently pastoring in Jersey Shore. He's here. Good to see you, Rob. Good to see you, Karen. All right, Paul... Pastor Paul and Paulina are in the house. Man, it's so good to have you. And uh, thank you for the wonderful message you preached when I wasn't here. And um, we honor you today. Thank you for your ministry. And uh, we bless you. Pastor Henry's here today. <laughs> he, 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 he thinks I'm half saved today. I got a suit, a jacket on with no tie. When I get a suit on, he thinks, oh, there he is. He's got saved. uh, I'll I'll speak a message to you. We started a series last week that we're calling Standing Firm. And what we're doing is we're using Ephesians chapter 6 as the um, preface, the springboard, if you will, of that message, all right? Um, So we're calling the series Stand Firm, all right? And and the Bible tells us how to stand firm in chapter 6 of Ephesians, all right? And so let's just read a little bit of it. The first verse that we're going to read is verse 11 where Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. All right, how many know he's a schemer? Do any of you know any schemers? I know some. I might even be one some days in fun. All right, Paul says the enemy has schemes, methods, trickery. He said, for our struggle, the next verse, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. All right, now let's stop there for just a moment. Paul comes and he says, "Listen, you're in a struggle. You're in a wrestling match. You're in a battle, but the battle that you face is not a battle of flesh and blood. How many know we like to think our battles against flesh and blood? How many know you view people sometimes that they're my enemy, they're my problem, right? Okay, and we're in this struggle. We're in this wrestling match, if you will. But Paul says." That we have something to protect us. That, the next slide will say, the armor of God is to protect us from what? The schemes, the methods, the trickery, the deceit, and the craftiness of the devil and his rollers. His powers and his world forces of wickedness. Now think about this. Again, the word struggle there goes back to a wrestling term, a wrestling match in which each opponent is trying to throw off the other and then you win the victory by throwing one down, getting your hand around their neck and holding them there. Remember doing that to your little brother? Tucker used to do that to Troy, all right? You throw them down and you hold them there, they can't move, you got them under your control, that's what that word is related to, all right? Paul says that's what he's out, that's what he's trying to do. And in this match against rollers and world forces and powers, they are using schemes, methods, trickery, and deceit to accomplish making us fall, or at least making us unstable. The armor of God is to be applied or put in order for us to stand against the schemes and the methods of the enemy. For example, last week, we did a message called Standing Firm in Truth. All right? Listen to me. When we strip away the imagery, such as the helmet and the breastplate and the the shoes and the the shield, what we come back with is that we stand firm in truth, righteousness, faith, peace, word of God, salvation. I mean, those six things are what we stand firm in. Sometimes we get lost in the imagery that comes with the breastplate and all of that. We stand firm in truth, righteousness, faith, peace, word of God, and salvation. And so what we're gonna do is we're taking a look at each one of these and how do I stand firm? Last week we talked about truth. That truth is the opposite of lies. One of the tricks of the enemy is to lie to you, to deceive you, to get you in your life to act upon falsehood and to get you to act upon a lie. But I stand firm in truth. And how many know truth is found in Jesus? All right, we started there last week. That truth is found in Jesus. The Bible says to me that the devil is the father of lies. Jesus says his nature, he speaks from his very nature, which is falsehood. And it's amazing to me how the devil has tried to, from his nature, demean and distort the nature of God. And I talked to you last week about how he tries to do that. He comes to Eve, he says... Did God really say this? Well, God knows this, and God that. And God doesn't, and what he does in our life is he tries to get us to a place where we question, is God really good? How many know he wants you to believe God isn't good? And God, and he said to Eve, and God knows that when you eat of this, you'll come like him. So he was distorting the character of God by what? By saying God's withholding something good from you. You see, all in our life, the enemy is constantly trying from his nature to distort the nature of God. But how I fight that is I stand firm in what the truth of the Word says, what the truth is. All right, now, so this week, we're going to look at standing firm in righteousness, all right? Now, what does that word mean? Well, let me show you. It, is, it means this. It means a condition that is acceptable to God, all right? It means a state approved by God, that when I am righteous, I am in a condition that is acceptable to God. I am in a state that is approved by God. How many of you wanna be accepted by God? How many of you wanna be approved by God, right? Okay, now let's think about this and we'll talk about this a moment. All right, uh, here's where I wanna start. What I want you to understand first and foremost is there's a couple of lies I believe the enemy wants to perpetrate into your life to get you to believe. First of all, the enemy wants you to believe that you cannot be accepted and approved. How could God love me? How could God accept me? The things that I have done, the things that I have done in my life, he surely couldn't love me. He surely could not accept me. He surely cannot approve of me. He wants you to, how many people have you ever heard say that in their life? How could God love me? How can God accept me? How can God approve of me? How many know we're our own worst enemy? Aren't we? Okay. The devil wants you to believe that you can create your own path to being accepted and approved by God. Right? I'll, I'll show you this a little bit later, but I'll talk about it now. He wants you to believe that you can be, that if you are accepted and approved by God, that you can do that through creating your own path. How many know that's a falsehood? Right? There's another thing that he perpetrates. That the devil wants you to believe that acceptance and approval by God is conditional to your behavior. Now, there are, we'll talk about later, there are and there is fruit of righteousness. Amen? There is behavior that is dictated by righteousness. But how many know this morning that I am not righteous because of what I do? How many know I'm not unrighteous simply because of what I do? In other words, here's what I want you to say. How many know when you come to Jesus, when you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're a son? All right? So i become a son through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you parents are in the house? Right? How many have sons and daughters? Right? And how many know that your sons and daughters were perfect? A little louder, Mom? I thank you? I thought that amen should have been a little louder on her part, don't you think? And, and so you have children, they're yours, born into your family, and there are times in their life that they do things that are unacceptable, yes? That they do things that are disapproved of, right? Did she say amen louder? that there are times they do things you disapprove of, right? But let me ask you a question. Even though they have done things that are unacceptable and they do things that they are disapproved, did you stop viewing them as an acceptable and approved son? No. No. No, okay? Because the acceptance and the approval is based upon relationship that then should dictate some behavior But let me tell you something, that you started loving your child the moment they were born into your life. Matter of fact, I would suggest you started loving that child in your womb, moms, right? Before they did right or wrong. You see, I want us to get away from the yo-yo life that many people live. Oh my gosh, I had a bad day this week. I hope I don't die today. If I die today, I'm in big trouble. Oh, I I did this, I did that. We can live in this yo-yo where I'm in, out, in, out, in, out. We've got to stop living like that. We've got to stop living because how many know that's unstable? And that's what he would love to get you to a place where he can get you to doubt your acceptance by God and your approval by God through Jesus Christ so that he can put you in a place that lacks confidence so that you are in an unstable place in your life. Now, Okay, so let's talk about this. I wanna to suggest to you this morning, this. How many you believe, I believe, that man was created righteous? Now I know, what, okay, I know what the Bible says in terms of no, there's not one righteous, that's true. But that was after man sinned. I would suggest to you that in the garden, man was created by God in righteousness. He created Adam, gave him his image, made him in his likeness, gave him a dominion, gave him a mandate, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the air, and over every living creature, worked a garden, right? In this, I would suggest to you that he was created in righteousness. Okay, how do I know that? Well, first of all, the, the definition means to be accepted and approved by God. So you're telling me that God created a man whom he wasn't going to accept and approve? Duh. How I many know that would be dumb? Right? So we were created in righteousness, all right? But then what happened? You know the story. So they sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. Well, let me go back to this. Let me just refresh this. When God created Adam, he was in a condition that was acceptable to him. God would fellowship him, come down in the cold of the evening. He was acceptable. When God created Adam, he was in a state that was, a, it was a state approved by God. He was an approved and accepted son, all right? Now, what happened? We know what happens. Here comes the devil. Here comes the serpent. How many know we get our first glimpse of a spiritual struggle in the garden? How many know we get our first glimpse of what Paul's talking about in the garden? The battle wasn't against flesh and blood. How many know the battle wasn't even against the serpent? How many know it was the serpent through whom the enemy worked? All right, and so now in the garden we get a picture of this. Here's man, here's God's creation, created in righteousness with a righteous mandate upon their life. And now here comes an enemy that's trying now to throw him down, grab him by the neck, so that he can overcome him. And how does he do it? He begins with, Did God really say? And then he says, and God's keeping something good from you, and God's really not good. And oh, by the way, God won't judge your sin. I mean that's a lie from the devil. God will judge our sin. And coming. many know God did judge our sin through Jesus Christ on Calvary? Okay, now, so man chooses and he falls in this spiritual battle against the enemy, eats from the tree that God tells him not to eat from. And at that point, sin took Adam from a righteous condition to an unrighteous condition. Amen? That's exactly what happened. Because, listen to me for a minute, why is that so? Because sin is always unacceptable to God and disapproved by God. It is always unacceptable to God and disapproved by God. Get this for a minute. God, God creates this man in this image, creates him in a righteous condition. Here's my garden, here's my creation. It's yours. Take care of it. Everything here is yours. Eat from it and live. Except that one right there. That thing. Mine. That one is mine. Don't eat from it. Don't eat from it. It's mine. What does man do? I'm going to eat from that. I want that. Rebellion against God. Sin, disobedience, puts them in an unrighteous condition. It puts them in a position of being unacceptable and disapproved by God. To the point where what? God would drive them from the very garden in where he put them. How many know it wasn't God that drove them out of the garden? It was sin. We know, okay. How many know it's sin that separates us from God, not God? Now let's think about this for a moment. So if it ended there, it'd be a pretty depressing story. But it doesn't end there. Because if biblical history shows us anything, it shows us a God has always made a way for unrighteous men to be righteous in his sight. Have you followed the Bible cover to cover... If you follow that Bible cover to cover, you're gonna see the history of a righteous God who always out of the desire of his heart made a way and made a path for unrighteous men to be accepted and approved by a righteous God. Well, I mean, even in the garden, what did he do? The first thing he did in the garden was, you sinned, you're guilty, you're unacceptable, you're this is disapproving, and I'm gonna kill the life of the innocent to cover you. Right? Because I'm gonna make a way for you to be acceptable. And approved by me. All right, and now, now, I want you to think about this. Now, I'm doing a little setup. I'll probably preach another three hours, okay? It'll be all right, because we're not punching the clock, right? <laughs> I got two really weak ones over here. One strong amen over there. And the rest of the people saying, shut him up. All right? Now, think about this. I, I go through the Old Testament, and you will see how God did this. Now, how did he do this? Let me show it to you. Just give me a little couple minutes to set this up. In the Bible, we'll see three types of laws that God gave to man. God gave civil law, right? How he gave this civil law so that humanity would live in a civil fashion with each other, right? And then God gave another law that we'll call the moral law. What's the moral law? How many of you know it's the Ten Commandments? How many of you know it's the law? The Ten Commandments, all right? Love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you know you did that well this week? Some of you are already thinking about. it. Yeah, I wanted to kill him this week, all right? Now, love your neighbor as yourself. No, you should not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor, right? And all the moral law. And then there's the ceremonial law, which was, you'll find in Leviticus, and parts of Numbers, where they what? They would kill the animals, take them into the temple. You'll see the tabernacle set up. And you see all these ways that there was this ceremonial law. Now, why was that so? Because listen to me, because God gave a perfect, righteous, holy, moral law to His creation, but the problem was they could not keep it. Okay? Man's inability to keep the moral law of God caused Him to give the ceremonial law so unrighteous man could be righteous in His sight. All right, think about this. Now, what's God, how many know God could have just wrote us off? I mean, even go back to go back to go back to Genesis chapter six for a moment. When God saw that the wickedness, the wickedness of man, it grieved His heart that He had even created us. How I many know you're in a bad place when you grieved? You created something. You know, my mother's over there thinking, "Yeah, I remember when I grieved. I created him, <laughs> right?" And what does God do? God says, "I'm going to wipe him out. I'm going to kill him all." And then he remembered Noah, had favor on Noah. Noah. And it was through Noah that he made a way for an unrighteous world to still pursue a path of righteousness. We can go on and on through that. So now there's this ceremonial law that God puts in place. And through this ceremonial law, there will be different times where they would come in and there's different feasts and different seasons. And one of the ones that we talk a lot here is the great day of atonement. On that great day of atonement, when God would have the high priest take the blood of that lamb, and take it into the most holy place and apply it to the mercy seat. And the Shekinah glory of God would come down. And the high priest would come back out of that holy place. And the people's sin were atoned for for another year. How many know it was God made a pl- way for unrighteous men to be considered accepted and approved for another year? And say, what does all that have to do with this? It has everything to do with this. Everything to do with it. Because look what the Bible tells me. Okay, so now there's all through this is this ceremonial law, which became a hindrance to many people in the time of Jesus. Well, we'll come back to that in a moment. Watch what Romans chapter 10, verse 4 says. For now in Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. For in Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. How I mean, Listen to me. The moral law of God did not end with Christ, amen? But how many know the ceremonial law ended with Christ? I cannot practice the ceremonial law today because I don't need to kill a lamb and shed his blood because the lamb has already been killed and his blood's been already shed on Calvary's cross, right? So the end of the law came with Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. All right? Now, here's the great thing. I don't have to go through a ceremonial law to be accepted and approved by God. Do you know how happy that makes me? Do you know how happy it makes me that I don't have to kill an animal and take its blood somewhere? Just telling you. Do you know how happy it is that we don't have to set up an altar here and you got to bring all these animals and we're going to cut them up and we're going to burn them and we're going to blood them. Oh, my goodness gracious. Talk about punching the clock. But listen to me. But it was the way in which God, for a season until the fullness of time, would make a way for unrighteous men to be accepted and approved by him. But now Christ, but now Christ became the end of the ceremonial law. The moral law still stands intact. And so now I stand firm because Jesus brought an end to the ceremonial law of God. It's amazing to me how many Christians I will meet that want to live with a foot in both worlds. They want to live with a foot in the New Testament and a foot in the Old Testament. They want to have a lot of grace over here, but they still want to do some works over here. Amen? They want to live here, and they want to live there. No, no, Jesus ended that ceremonial law stuff. I stand firm because Jesus brought an end of the law. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the law. How many know you're the end of the law when you fulfilled it? He said, he was the lamb that was laid. He was the high priest. He was the offering. It was his blood. There is nothing That he did not fulfill, therefore, how many know I don't have to fulfill the ceremonial law? It's not my church attendance that makes me acceptable and approved by God. I come to church because I am accepted and approved by God. And I'm gonna hang out and worship with the other accepted and approved sons and daughters of God. All right? Now, the enemy wants to get you to a place where you're trying to do a checklist, the ceremonial law stuff, where I can do a checklist. Let me, let me read it to you. Uh, let me read you something here. Uh, come with me. Grab your Bible. It's just coming to me. Luke chapter, I hope I'm right, 8. Well, maybe not 8. <laughs> Let me sing for you while I'm looking for it. Here we go. Chapter 18. I knew there was an eight in it. How would you like to live with me? <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm like a hot mess. Now let, let, me, let me read this to you. Chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. Have you ever met any people who are confident of their own righteousness? Like they know they are that in a bag of Cheetos. Like, they're just all of that, right? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Listen listen to this prayer. God, I thank you I'm not like other people. (laughs) Every time I read that, I just laugh. Now, I can imagine saying this. Lord, I thank you I'm not like Pastor Jim. I got that. I thank you I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collectors who's in here with me. For I, because God's not, I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth of all I get. Hmm. Do you see where his confidence was? His confidence was in the work of his flesh. The confidence was in his identity as a Pharisee. His confidence, his self-confidence, his self-righteousness was in the works of the law, all right? And I was saying to you this morning that he, even though he was self-confident in his self-righteousness, how many you know he was sadly mistaken? Because Jesus goes on and says what? But the tax collector stood at a distance and wanted not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, i tell you rather this day th- that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Because how many know it is when we come to a place of humility and brokenness before God that he can bring us to a place where he can accept us and approve of us as his sons. I don't come to my God and saying to you, here's my list of why you should accept me and approve me. I know I'm a wretched sinner. I know I'm a wretched sinner. I know I need mercy. I know I need grace. I know I have no righteousness of my own. I know I don't. And I'm going to stand firm, not because I've been able to keep the ceremonial law. I'm going to stand firm, not because of me, but rather because of Jesus, who's the end of the law, because he was the fulfillment of the law. Now watch what happens. So, so, why does that, what does, how do, how do I stand firm then, like, how, how does that work in my life? Well, here's how it works. Let me give you a scripture that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. Let me read it to you this way. So he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become accepted and approved sons of God in Christ Jesus. You see, all of a sudden I'm looking at this and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. You mean... That I am righteous. Yeah. Why? How? Because it was righteous Jesus who took the sin of unrighteous men so unrighteous men could become righteous. He took it upon himself. He took that sin. Do you know where your sin ended up? Your sin ended up on the shoulders of Jesus on Calvary. I stand firm in righteousness when the enemy comes at me. I stand firm in righteousness because I stand firm in Christ who is my righteousness. I don't have any. This is almost like, you know, I get to spend spend somebody else's money. How many think that'd be a great idea? How how many like to spend somebody else's money? How many of you would like to spend today, how many of you would like to spend Bill Gates' money? Come on. How many know if Bill Gates' fortune was afforded to you access anytime you wanted it? Anytime. Baby, would I ever burn up that debit card? <laughs> and it wouldn't be for the selfish things you might, think of. might be thinking of. It might be a thing or two here or there. But I'd be just like, ha! Cha-ching, cha-ching. Oh, no, it's sticking in now, the chip. Right? Why? Because what he has is now what I have. And I only stand in that fortune because of him. Bible says that I am the righteousness of Christ. That his righteousness, ladies and gentlemen, his righteousness. I stand firm, not in mine. I look at this enemy. He's coming at me. He's trying to bring, I mean, he tries to bring condemnation to you over your sin. And what do you do? You look at him and say, whoa, 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 Jack. No, 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 no. I'm not standing here firm in my thing. I'm standing here firm in his righteousness. I'm the righteousness of Christ in Christ Jesus. Yeah, yeah Listen to me. You're trying to give him a list of why you're righteous. Give him a name, not a list. Give him a name, not a list. The next time he's coming at you, give him a name. Jesus. Jesus. Let me know it's the one thing that will shut them up. Let me hurry on. People say, please do. The devil wants you to believe there is a path to acceptance and approval of God that excludes Christ. And there's not. There's a world lie being perpetrated that there's more than one way to heaven. There's not. There's more than one way to God. There's not. There's a lie being perpetrated throughout our country and the world that excludes Jesus. Do you know, we've talked about this before, do you know the name of God doesn't really offend a lot of people? But boy, Jesus can offend some people. The stumbling stone, the stumbling block, the rock of offense. I may know that the Pharisees were not offended by God, but they sure were offended by Jesus? I would suggest to you today that there's even a religious crowd today that is not offended by God, but they are offended by Jesus. He wants you to believe that there is a pathway to God that excludes Christ. Why? Because if he can get you to believe that, you'll never get to God. If he can get you to believe that, you'll never get to God. The moment I stand in my own righteousness, I am standing outside of Christ's righteousness. I cannot stand in my own righteousness and stand in his righteousness at the same time. I just can't. I have to stand in his, all right? Any righteousness that is isn't Christ is in righteousness. It isn't, if it isn't Christ, it's not righteousness. Now how do I become that? How do I become accepted? How do I get this righteousness in my life? Well, the Bible's really clear. How many know it's really simple? How many know it's just like having one of those big, fat, easy buttons that you see on the Staples commercials? It's easy! It is not hard to step into the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You say, why why isn't it? Because here's what the Bible simply tells me. That if I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in what? Righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, which is resulting in... In salvation, The Jews, the Jewish people in Romans that Paul was talking about, were trying to pursue a righteousness on their own, the Bible says, excluding Christ. But he says, the word of faith is near you. The word of faith is in your heart. The word of faith is in your mouth. That if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right, and you believe in your heart that God raised him, then you'll be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe. And so, listen to me. So here's what we know. Jesus is our righteousness, but faith is the path to Jesus. You cannot come to him without faith. You must believe what the scripture says. you got to believe. How I many know it's not even a mental ascent? Right? It's not a, because if you try to make this thing a mental ascent, it won't make sense. How many ever tried to reason out the gospel? Have you read what the gospel story is? It makes no sense mentally. It can only be understood spiritually. It can only be understood by the Spirit of God. It makes no sense in the natural mind. The natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Some of you in here today, you're in an unsafe state because you've been trying to get this thing reasoned out in your mind. Good luck. Good luck. I'm 55 years old, and I've been doing this for about 25 years now, and I still don't have a reason out in my mind, because it's a faith issue. It's faith. I stand firm in righteousness, because I stand firm in my faith in Christ. You can, you can do all you want. This is what I know. I'm standing firm in Jesus i got nowhere else to go. i got no other place to go. I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to stand firm in him. The moment you put it somewhere else, what are you going to do when that's stripped away? The moment you put it in your good works, what about if you can't do any more good works? What if you can't serve anymore? What if you can't do it anymore? If you put it in your church attendance, what if you can't get to church? If you put it in your money, what happens if you lose it all? What happens if it's all gone? How many of you can strip everything this world has away from you that you put your confidence in? And when it's all taken away, you can't take Jesus from me. You can't take it. You cannot take my faith in Christ Jesus. And therefore, I will stand firm in righteousness. Now, let me show you something. So now the Bible says that I'm saved when I believe in my heart. Right? And I confess with my mouth. And I step into the righteousness of Christ. I'm now in him I am righteous. Now, let me go here. But I want us to go and show us something. Here's another definition of righteous that goes along with it. It's this. Integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness. Correct thinking, feeling, and acting. Hmm. Now, here's what the Bible tells me. The Bible shows me A history of a God who made a way for unrighteous men to become righteous. All through the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he made that possible one last time, one final time, one final offering. Jesus Christ died on the cross. By his blood, we've been saved. I believe in him by faith. I confess with my, I'm now in a saved condition. And I am now the righteousness of Christ, uh, of God in Christ Jesus. I am now a son a righteous, accepted and approved son. And now I start acting like it. Come on. The Lord really impressed upon me to spend some time on this this morning. And now I start acting like it because I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm now a slave to righteousness. I now start to act like it. I now begin to act like the righteousness of Christ. Which means there's going to be some attitudes that got to go. Which means there's going to be some thinking that got to go. Which means there's going to be some activity that's going to go. How many of know this morning, there are some things that we got to put away if we are the righteousness of Christ? Uh-huh. I mean, look at, think about it. Right? Think about this for a moment. So now, all of a sudden, here's what Romans 6 tells me. Romans 6 tells me this. That having been freed from sin you became a slave of righteousness. You see, I can stand firm in righteousness because I'm no longer a slave to sin. Listen to me this morning. It is sin that causes you to be unstable. It is sin that causes us not to stand firm. It is sin that causes us to to be in a, a less confident state. Listen to me this morning. He says very clearly, I have been freed from being a slave to sin. No, we don't have to sin. The devil didn't make you do it. He ain't that powerful. Stop giving him more power than he deserves. Right? You're you're not a slave to sin. I stand firm in righteousness because the Bible says I am a slave. (laughs) I picked it up twice. That's it. (laughs) I am a slave to righteousness. Almost any time. Here. Let me go. Listen to me, because you remember something in that garden. God created man to be righteous, right? He created man to be righteous in the garden, and I want you to think about this for just a moment. It was sin that caused him to be unrighteous, to put him to an unrighteous state. In the garden, that sin was unacceptable and disapproved by God. I want you to know something. Sin is always unacceptable to God and disapproved by God, even now. Jesus did not make sin acceptable and approved by God. Jesus made us be able, sinful men, to be accepted and approved by God. But he never made sin approved and accepted by God. And sometimes, let's be honest, we find ourselves in the age of grace and praise God for the age of grace, and I am a grace guy, don't get me wrong. But i got to tell you something this morning. God doesn't wink at our sin. God doesn't say, oh, it's okay because of my son. Oh, it's okay to be self-righteous. No, it's not. Oh, it's okay to be a liar. No, it's not. Oh, it's okay to do it. No, it's not. It's not okay. You you see, you got to understand something. I, 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 I now... How many know righteousness received is righteousness revealed? That when I receive the righteousness of Christ, my life begins to reveal the righteousness of Christ. All of a sudden, there are some changes that need to take place, not to become righteous, but because I am righteous. Not to get accepted and approved, but because I am accepted and approved. That definition I gave you a moment ago talked about correct thinking and and so forth. Watch this. I stand firm in righteousness because it shapes my thinking. How I many know what you think about is what will shape your thinking? Huh? Just think about it. What do you dwell on every day? What do you dwell on every day? Whatever you're dwelling on on a daily basis is a thing that was shaping your thinking. Think about this for a moment. What would happen... to our thinking, if it was the righteousness of God, the righteousness, my approved, listen to me, that I now think as an accepted and approved son of God. That all of a sudden I find myself, what would have happened had Adam in the garden and Eve, when they're dealing with the serpent, said, no, 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 no. Let me tell you about my thinking. My thinking here is being shaped by the fact that I am an accepted and approved son of God. What would happen in our lives when we are faced with temptation, in our struggle, in our struggle with principalities, in our struggle with powers, in our struggle with authorities that are bringing temptation into our life? What would happen if we were to respond with, no, 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 no. I'm going to allow the fact that I'm an accepted son of God to now dictate my thinking. How many of you think we might think a little bit differently? But the sad part is, but many of us are not thinking as approved, accepted sons of God. We're thinking as, uh, as orphans of God. We're thinking as sinners. Listen to me this morning. You were a sinner saved by grace, but now you are a son of the living God. Allow that to shape your thinking. You are a son. You are a child of God. That must shape our thinking. Because as long as you say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, that's what you were. That's not what you are. You get my point? Now you're a son. I stand firm because righteousness shapes my thinking. I stand firm in righteousness because it now rules my feelings. How many of you have ever, have you ever, ever battle your feelings? Oh, I just feel sad today. Okay. I just feel, I just feel, I just feel, I just feel. How many of you know that's your soulish nature at work? Right? It's your fleshly nature where my feelings. How many of you have been on a roller coaster of feelings, a roller coaster of emotions? How many on the up and down of the feelings of life? Uh, okay? How many of how many you ever been on a diet and the moment you have a little bit of difficulty is that I need some comfort food? <laughs> that was me yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I need some comfort food. I think I'll go to Aki. Oh. How many know you cannot go to Aki? Well, maybe some of you can. You're just better people than me. You just cannot go to Aki and refuse the fried rice. Like, why go? <laughs> if you are got to skip the rice, why go? It's like going to Chick fil A and not getting chicken. Right? Listen to me. Your th- feelings have got to be ruled by righteousness. That my feelings are not going to be the thing that dominates and rules my life any longer. That righteousness is, because the enemy is out. To waylay you through your feelings. I stand in righteousness. I stand firm in righteousness because it defines my actions. Right? My actions are not to become righteous, but because I became righteous through Christ. God did not send his son to die on a cross so that you and I could become the righteousness of Christ so we can continue to be a slave to sin. He did not send Jesus to say your sin is now acceptable. It's not. That doesn't mean we don't sometimes sin as children of God, amen? And how many know just because I sin doesn't make me a disapproved son of God, but he still disapproves of the sin. And I'm saying to you this morning, That we must come to a place where we are standing firm in the righteousness of Christ because we're a slave to righteousness and not a slave to sin. And we stop doing the junk we've always been doing. And it's now time that we say, no more. No more. I'm not going to be dominated by my feelings. I'm not going to be dominated by my thinking. I'm going to allow the word of God to change my thinking. I'm not going to be dominated by sin any longer. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's how you stand firm in righteousness. Come on, Troy. Everybody say yay. If I had that hose right now that Gilbert has, y'all would get hosed. Like I'd just be like this. And yes, that I want you to know there would be some water that fell upon the righteous and the unrighteous. <laughs> Church, listen to me this morning. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, You're in a battle. Paul says, You're in a struggle. There's an enemy that's trying to throw you down, hold you down, trying to defeat you. But Paul also said, But you put on the armor of God. And the armor of God, part of it is standing firm in righteousness. That you are righteous because of Jesus Christ. That you're righteous. And you come at Him when He condemns you. You come at Him with condemnation with, I am in Christ Jesus. You allow that to to fuel the way that you think, the way that you feel, the way that you act, that you are the righteousness of Christ. Because I'm telling you something. If you stand in your own righteousness or anything else, you will not stand firm. You will not stand firm. You will be up and down, in and out, up and down, in and out, up and down, in and out. But this day, You say, no, no, I'm standing firm. Why? I'm the righteousness of Christ. I'm righteous in him. I'm approved and I'm accepted. Son of God. Yeah, my daddy loves me. My daddy loves me. Doesn't love everything I do, but my daddy loves me. Father, this morning... on some teaching on the armor. We must understand we are in a struggle. We must understand it is a spiritual battle. We must understand there are forces that work against us. But while we understand that, we also understand that you have designed us to stand firm. You didn't design us to fail. In the fall, you designed us to stand firm. And we stand firm by truth. And we stand firm in your righteousness. I got no righteousness to offer. All of my righteousness is as filthy rags. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your son. Thank you that you've always, out of your heart, made a way for unrighteous men to be accepted and approved by you. But let us understand that Jesus is now the way to being accepted and approved by you. Let me ask you to do this. Bow your heads. Everybody, bow your heads for just a moment. I just want to open up an invitation real quick that maybe some of you here you've never really put your faith in Christ. You've tried to put your faith in things and stuff and people and attendance and works and all kinds of stuff. But today I don't want you to leave here not knowing that you are an accepted and approved son of God. And the pathway to that is coming through Jesus it is simply, the Bible outlines that you would confess that Jesus is Lord. That you would believe in your heart that Christ, that God raised him from the dead. That's what it says. The Bible says you'll be saved. That you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. Because from the heart is where you believe, resulting in righteousness. So if you're here today, and Maybe you've never said that. Maybe you've never said, my mouth speaks that Jesus is Lord. Maybe you never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Maybe you've never in your heart believed that God raised Him from death. Maybe you've never done that. Or maybe you're here today and you have put a lot of confidence in a lot of things other than Him. I I just want you to do this this morning. If you've never done that, I, I just want you to say, you know what? Raise your hand real quick and just say, today, today, I confess that Jesus is Lord. If, that's, if you've never done that and you want to do it today, today's the day. I confess Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead. Is there anybody? Anybody at all? You're all saved. Praise God. I'm glad you're all saved. I don't believe it, but I'm glad you are. See, right now, the enemy's working against you. Right? You really don't have to raise your hand. You really don't have to make it. You don't really have to. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because that's what the Bible says. And I'm going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Was there there anyone? Yeah, one. Two. Anybody else? Three, four, five, six. I always need an icebreaker. Give me one icebreaker and a tumble that just tumbles. Anybody else? Seven. I'm not going to make you come up front. I promise you. I want to ask you to hold your hands up. Just hold your hands up. I want to do one thing. Keep everybody else. Keep your eyes closed for a moment. But I do want some people right now to gather around those with their hands up. George right behind you is a gentleman. Randy, you want to back that out? Don't be shy. Over here. back there holding the baby. Jerry, not. You got Back Back with them guys, Jerry. I want you to do two things here. One, we're going to pray together as a corporate body. Okay? But number two, those of you who are praying with people, listen to me. People are making a decision for Jesus Christ today. And then there's an enemy that always comes to steal the seed that is sown. And I want you to get a name. I want you to get some information. Because they're becoming part of this body. Or part of, I'm sorry. They're becoming part of the kingdom of God. And we join together as brothers and sisters, accepted sons in God. So everybody in this house, along with those of you who are with people, help them go through this. That we're simply gonna do what the Bible says. So follow me this morning. Father, come on, speak it up. Let's go talk with me. Let's go. Father, I come to you today and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And this day. I say, He's Lord of my life. I'm no longer Lord of my life. But He's Lord of my life. And I believe in my heart, even against mental uh, reasoning, that God raised Him from the dead. And today, I believe I became an accepted and approved child of God. I give you my life. Thank you for dying on a cross for me. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.